Hi, everybody, and welcome to Coach's Corner. I've got an old dear friend with me today on this episode, and we're going to talk about how to excel in work, especially your first job and in life, and a lot of other things. You're really going to enjoy Antonio Neves. He's full of information and inspiration, and he's just a real and vulnerable guy. And like I said, we've known each other a long time. That's the cool thing about being an entrepreneur is your network gets really, really big. You know, when I worked in more of a corporate job, my network wasn't as big because I knew people that I worked with. But being an entrepreneur, my network has really expanded, which is why I'm so enthusiastic about any of you who are aspiring or current entrepreneurs. And P.S., if you have a corporate job and you love it and you don't have that entrepreneurial bug, that's totally okay. Entrepreneurs are not better or worse. I just want to really support the people who want to work for themselves, which is why I'm so passionate about B-School. You've heard me talk about it. It's closing February 28th. So if you listen to this when the show goes up, you have a little under a week left. And this is the perfect year to join if you want me to coach you through it, because this is most likely the last year I'll be a partner for B-School. Not because I don't love the program, just because I want to give other people a chance to be partners for B-School. And I really want to finish strong with an awesome, awesome group. So if you're on the fence, email Jill at christinehasler.com. She can answer any questions that you have. Let me just review a little bit about what you get if you join B-School through my link, which is christinehasler.com slash B-School. I'm going to be quick with this because all the information, again, is on that page, christinehasler.com slash B-School. If you join through me, you get four live group coaching calls that are recorded if you don't make it live. I pretty much get to everybody on the call. So you have me coaching you through both your practical strategic questions about your business and any of those blocks that come up. You get four custom guided meditations from me to help you with those unconscious blocks again and really prepare you and help you visualize the space you need to get in to really be successful with B-School and beyond. You get access to a Facebook group, which is only for our group that Jill and I are active on where they're answering your questions and supporting you. Great time to connect with a like-minded tribe. And you get, this is a new bonus this year, access to my coaching training program. It's a masterclass for coaches on how to be profitable and masterful as a coach. And you get access to a free one day live retreat with me in Austin, most likely in June, where we will mastermind your business. We will help you with sales and enrollment. We will hot seat coach you. You will brainstorm, you will mastermind. It's an epic day. Just, just that day is actually worth the investment of B-School loan. But you get all that and all my bonuses and the B-School program. So again, go to christinehasler.com slash B-School for that. Let me tell you a little bit about my guest today, Antonio. He is an internationally recognized leadership speaker, author, and award-winning journalist. He is the author of three books, including 50 Ways to Excel in Your First Job and in Life, and is currently working on his next book. On his podcast, The Best Thing, which I'm interviewed on, he talks with fascinating people about the best thing to happen to them that would never appear on a resume, bio, or come up in conversation. For nearly 10 years, Antonio has helped organizations increase workplace engagement, create strong cultures of accountability, and tell stories that make people lean in. Antonio's clients and audiences are some of the largest brands in the world. He's also an award-winning journalist. He worked as a correspondent, host, and producer for over 10 years in New York City with top networks like NBC, PBS, BET, and Nickelodeon. 
So before we dive in, I want to thank Daily Harvest, my sponsor for this week. Daily Harvest makes it easy to eat well. They deliver thoughtfully sourced, chef-crafted food right to my door, and everything can be prepared in five minutes or less. And I'm really excited about this because we're moving into our own home March 1st after this is, I think, our 21st or 22nd place that we've been in since November 30th. And I really am looking forward to my shipment of Daily Harvest, ready to go, ready to eat, bowls and soups shipped right to my door so that we are well-stocked and well-nourished as soon as we move in. So what is Daily Harvest? Well, it's something you can enjoy year-round as a quick solution to get the fruits and veggies you need every day and you want every day. Daily Harvest works directly with farmers to harvest organic fruits and vegetables at their peak and freezes them within 24 hours to lock in their nutrients. Everything stays fresh until you're ready to enjoy it. Choose from more than 65 different options like smoothie, hearty soups, harvest bowls, and overnight oats. I love those. Overnight oats are really good for my adrenals in the morning. And each recipe takes one step to prepare with room to make them on your own. You can add your favorite milk to blend up a smoothie or heat up a harvest bowl and top it with an avocado or fried egg. Whether you're at home, at your desk, or on the go, Daily Harvest is the easiest way to have a delicious and nutritious meal or snack. Go to dailyharvest.com and enter promo code over it to get $25 off your first box. That's promo code over it for 25 bucks off your first box at dailyharvest, D-A-I-L-Y-H-A-R-V-E-S-T.com. All right, everybody. And now to my interview with Antonio. Antonio, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's a joy to be here. I've been listening for a long time and I just feel like I'm like on a wall of the like <laughs> hidden, like I'm invisible and I'm just listening to these conversations and they're so yeah. juicy. So thank you for having me. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for listening to those coaching episodes. I, I love doing them. And I said in the intro that you and I have been friends for a long time. You're one of my entrepreneur friends, such such a cool community that we're a part of. And I thought it was like six years, but you reminded me we met in 2012. So it's Yeah, right been, when I, yeah. Right when you moved here, right? To LA? Right when I moved to New York, uh, to Los Angeles after about 12 years in New York City uh, and LA was calling my name. And fortunately, via a good mutual friend, we got introduced and I'm really glad that we did. Me too. Me too. And I've always just appreciated the integrity you have, the way that you show up in the world and how you're consistently committed to, to growth, to, to helping others and to growing yourself. And that's probably one of the reasons we've stayed friends over all these years is because you're consistently reinventing yourself, not from the place of anything's wrong, but more from the place of how can I serve? How can I give? And you've had a lot happen. We'll, we'll break it down a little bit, but you've, you've given, you've had twins. You've become a really successful speaker. You've written, you're on your third book now or your fourth? Uh, the book that comes out late this year uh, will be my fourth book. So I'm really excited. Fourth about book. That. Oh, okay. We're, we're tied. <laughs> you know, I do have to mention though, the first, the first three books though, and I, this is for your listeners. Those are all self-published. Those are all now with major publishing houses. This new one is with, uh, you know, a major publishing house. So uh, I'm glad that I pressed ship on those first versions when I had a lot of resistance initially to self-publishing, but I'm so glad I did. You know, I'm doing the reverse. My first three were published and I think I want to do my next one self-published. So I'm, I, we're flipping. <laughs> Your community is going to love that. And you have the community. So yeah, right. We're, yeah, we're flipping. We're flipping. I love it. I love it. So I wanted to start because I love your podcast, The Best Thing, because you ask people 
about the best thing that's happened to them that would never appear on a resume or a bio or just come up in everyday conversation. And I want to start by asking you that. I want to flip that question back on you. What's the best thing that's ever happened to you that maybe you don't talk about as much or people may not know about you? Yeah, Christine, this, it's such a, a rich question because you learn so much about people you otherwise wouldn't know. And I just want to rewind to the year 2016. Mm. And the wild thing, Christine, is that on paper, everything looked great in my life. Here's this guy who's speaking all across the country at big companies. He has these self-published books that are getting purchased for these speaking events. He's married. He has twins. Again, on paper, this dude is living his best life. Uh, But as you probably know, sometimes uh, the internet and paper and resumes don't tell the -hmm. whole story. Mm -hmm. Because behind the scenes, while I was, quote unquote, killing it out there internally, hot mess central was going on. And it really came to a head because I reached a point, you're not going to believe this. I found myself secretly smoking cigarettes in alleys. Oh, wow. That's so after school special-ish. It, yeah, all I needed was a leather jacket, um, but it was so wild that I was wearing this bright green gardening glove to hide mm. the smoke from my wife because mm. I was reached this habit of smoking because I was so stressed and my health was bad. I gained nearly thirty pounds. I was wearing um, heart monitors to to check my my well being. And one day, while I was and it was all stress induced. All Pretty much. Mm-hmm. I did MRIs. I did every test you could do, Christine. Mm-hmm. And they all came back like, no, dude, uh, everything on paper, your, your blood test, everything looks good. But the stress levels were ridiculous out of this world. Mm-hmm. And one day I'm out there smoking a, a cigarette, wearing my bright green gardening glove in an alley of Santa Monica. And some a homeless man comes up to me and he says, hey, can I, can I borrow one of your cigarettes, can I have one? And I was like, absolutely. It looked like, frankly, this guy had better days and I was happy to give him a couple of cigarettes. And at some point after he lit his cigarette, you're going to laugh at this, he looked at my green glove and he was like, yo, what, what, what's up with that green glove? And I was like, oh, my, my wife doesn't know that I smoke, so I wear this so she can't smell it. Mm. He looked at me with a piercing gaze that and just connected to me in a way I've never been connected. And straight up, he said, hey, man, you got to figure that S-H-I-T out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You gotta, I mean, on the surf, this guy's going, what I'm perceived is going through troubles. He's homeless, all these stories I'm creating about him. But he looked at me in a way, talked to my soul saying, hey, man, you got to figure this out. Yep. And it just cut me to my core in such a, a painful way, but a beautiful way. And indeed, that set me back um, to getting things back on track. So I say best thing because that moment, which I could have ignored, which may have never happened, it was a stranger, really uh, sparked something powerful in me. Wow. Wow. There's, there's so much in there that I want to unpack. So one of the books that you wrote is How to Excel at Your First Job and in Life. And we'll unpack that a little bit more. But I imagine with everything that you were saying on stage, and everything that you were posting, and and you alluded to this, that you must have felt like such a fraud inside. How did you deal with that? Oh, how did I deal with that? You're you're spot on. I I felt like a fraud at the time. I I dealt with it by, um, frankly, isolating myself in many ways. For a guy who can easily walk on a stage and connect and fire up 5,000 people or a room of 300 people, uh, I became the exact opposite in my personal life. I would shut down at home. To deal with that that fraud, I started sedating. And what sedating looked like was smoking 
those cigarettes. It looked like binging uh, television shows. It looked like emotional eating for a guy who was a former collegiate athlete. I, again, I'd gained nearly 30 pounds. It looked like ending the evenings with that drink or two, just so those that taps on my, that metaphorical tap on my shoulder would go away. It looked like disconnection with my wife and even disconnection with my kids. Mm-hmm. Um, what it kind of boiled down to was that I was at a time in life when I felt like so much was asked of me more than ever before. Mm-hmm. And I was struggling to deal with what that looked like for me. And I think a lot of things I had ignored over the years, they caught up to me in being a husband. They caught up to me in having twins, uh, rightfully so. And it's funny that I call my podcast the best thing because at that point, Christine, I think what it boiled down to was I believe that my best days were behind me uh. instead of ahead of me. We always hear the refrain of, oh, tell us about your best days. And people say, oh, college, best years of your life, high school, getting married, having kids, buying a home. All those things indeed are amazing best things. But I reached a point where I thought the best thing was in the past tense. And uh, you know, and mm. I always have to remind people on stages, if we are living, if we are breathing, if we wake up today, I truly believe that the best thing is ahead of us as opposed yep. to behind us. Now that's today, Antonio, not the guy uh, four years ago smoking cigarettes in an alley. Well, that, but that's a very depressing belief. It's like what you end, I think you end up sabotaging your life if you think the best days are behind you. So oh, absolutely. Yeah. And you know, and you probably know this with clients you've worked with and the, and the, and the folks you see at your retreats. Um, I have this strange gift as a coach to attract people to my coaching practice who are going through exactly <laughs> what I'm going through. So people would come up to me after speaking events. People would come up to me uh, or send emails, et cetera. And these are men and women that who in all, for all intent and purposes, on paper, they did everything they were supposed to do. They got the degree. They didn't get commit any crimes. Maybe they have a family. They have a good income and job, yet they feel like something is off and something is missing. Yet, because they have, quote unquote, accomplished, uh, let's just say the American dream, they feel guilty for sharing how they feel. So they do things, again, to uh, sedate, to not feel, and they can retreat. And that's exactly what I did. What do you think you were avoiding? Like, as you mentioned that all the things that maybe you hadn't dealt with that were exacerbated by having twins and a wife and just all the pressure of that. What, what was the, the, the beach ball that you were keeping underwater? Oh, wow. Um, There's a variety of things. But first and foremost, just self-love and appreciation. Just telling that little kid from small town Michigan that, you know, the war is over. Uh, You are loved. You are here. Everything is okay. Everything you need to succeed and live is here. Uh, Beyond that, you know, I think what was in the way was the uniform that I wore for so many years. You know, in my coaching work and the training I've done over the years, I think about the work I've done with Gay and Katie Hendricks of the Hendricks Mm -hmm. Institute, and they talk about the personas. And I like to look at it as wearing a uniform. And I think back to even my career when I moved to New York City in the year 2000 with less than $1,000 in my bank account. And, you know, after a few years, finally made my way to breaking in the television industry and being a correspondent and reporter with a variety of networks. What I was seeking for so long, Christine, was was validation, was Mm -hmm. appreciation. And I seek that through a network saying, yes, Antonio, we want you, through an audience of you know, when I was speaking, saying, yes, we appreciate you, we like you, versus me knowing I was of value just in myself. I I think back to a few years back, I was on a college campus giving a talk. And this is after I kind of got through this. And a kid came up to me and he said, hey, I'm just curious, how do you 
get that blue check mark on social media to show that you're verified. And I caught me off guard and I said, well, well, tell me, why do you want to get verified? And he said, well, to prove that it's me. And I said, well, is there another you? (laughs) He was like, no. And I said something to him that I was really saying to myself. And I said, no blue check mark can verify you. You were verified the day that you were born. Mm -hmm. So that, frankly, is what I was seeking. And so I had to dismantle and disrobe and take off of the uniform uh, physically, the gear that I wore every single day, uh, the affected voice that I would speak in on stages or that, you know, that fake reporter voice you hear reporters speak to on television or the radio and get back to just being... Antonio Neves and a lot of weight, literal late, but as existential and philosophical weight has been shed for me. And I I feel lighter than I've ever felt before in my life. Mm. So it sounds like it was a self-worth issue at the core that probably had been there for years and years and years. And you reached a breaking point where you hated yourself so much (laughs) and you made it. I, I see this a lot. Like we make the limiting story so, so true. That's usually like our breakdown moment when you find yourself smoking cigarettes in an alley, which definitely is the outward reflection of low self-worth. And we all have our different ways that it shows up for us. But I'm sure in your model of the world, smoking cigarettes with gardening gloves in an alley, getting life advice from a homeless guy probably was a rock bottom and super low self-worth. But you ha- it's almost like you had to hit that in order to illuminate how off track you were in terms of where you were getting your validation. I agree with you. That, that was an ultimate low point. Uh, the irony with smoking is that I grew up with um, a family of smokers. I despised smoking my whole life. It was something that I would <laughs> never do. My grandmother died from emphysema from smoking. I probably smelled like a, a cigarette my whole life going to school every single day from <laughs> driving in cars with the windows up. And I said I would never do it. Uh, but yes, I had to hit that that rock bottom. And the way I kind of looked at it, Christine, was asking myself a question like, if the movie, if your life was a movie and your movie was halfway over, what would the protagonist, what would that lead character start doing to change things around? Mm-hmm. I had reached a point in my, my, my movie, if you will, that I would have, if I paid money to see that movie, I would have walked out because it was no longer interesting. I read an interview once these founders of a business in New York City, and they're talking about what it was like to come up in the 90s in New York City with this business. And at one point, um, one of the business owners said, oh man, I miss the old New York. And he's talking about what it was like back in New York, back in the day. And his business partner corrected him. He said, you don't miss the old New York. You miss the old you, who Mm. you were in many ways. And there were many parts of me, frankly, that I missed that I had forgot about. Not all the old parts, but that bold and courageous an optimistic, hungry guy that moved to New York City that was going to take on the world, a lot of that guy, he disappeared. That courageousness Mm. went away. That boldness went away. That optimism went away. And I was just really excited to to reignite that. There are a lot of things from that guy I didn't want anymore, but that boldness, that courageousness, uh, I craved that because I was, like a lot of people, coasting. I I was on cruise control, and I don't believe uh, we're, we're meant to cruise. Yep. Yeah, no, I agree with that. So one of the questions I wanted to ask you is the the isolating, very, very common for men when they have a lot of shame because you didn't, I don't think you said the word shame, but I imagine that you felt some shame. Is that accurate? It's 100% accurate. And uh, even it's funny, even as you say the word shame, I can feel like emotion welling up. Mm-hmm. Not a Not a bad emotion, but one of like, wow, no, I haven't used that word 
a lot because I think it is a, um, it's a powerful one, uh, but yeah. you're hundred percent accurate. Yeah. Well, I, I can imagine that it would be there, especially, you know, feeling like a fraud, feeling like a failure, feeling like a liar, feeling like you're letting yourself down, other people down. And in being in that moment where you can't seem to pull yourself out of it, I'd imagine shame would be one of the things that you'd feel. And I see with men that how they usually deal with it is they isolate and they withdraw. And it's not just men, it's people too, but I see it's more common in men. What advice would you have to the partner of someone who may be in one of those moments of isolating? That's a really great question. I'm sure my wife would have some amazing advice to give on this because she had to employ, first and foremost, a lot of patience with me. And I so appreciate the patience that she had. Well, something else she also did was uh, she was she was always open and encouraging to listen. She she let me know whether I chose to take her up on it or not, that she was there. Uh, she wanted things to improve. She was the one that encouraged us doing um, marriage counseling and different things that I had resisted. And I'm so glad that she did because there are a lot of things in that those marriage counseling sessions that were addressed and were said that otherwise would have never have been said. Mm-hmm. But something else she did that was really powerful is I'm I'm part of a men's group and we meet every Thursday at a 7 a.m. when I'm in town. Mm-hmm. And she regularly encouraged me to make sure I made those 7 a.m. meetups when I was in town because mm-hmm. she knew I was isolating myself. And let me tell you something. When I meet with these guys every Thursday morning when I'm in town at 7 a.m., group of six people. It is a powerful situation because it's a place where it's just a conscious group of men who are there to support, who are there to love, who are there to hold you accountable. And unlike social media, unlike text messages, when you see these folks face to face, you can't hide. And you realize that you're not the only one going through something. Mm-hmm. Someone else has gone through and they give you that feedback and advice. We call it man morning. It's just an amazing mm-hmm. time. And my wife always encouraged me to go spend time with these amazing men because, and by the way, it, it wasn't easy for me to do that because we had two young twins at home that she could have used my support, but she was like, no, go please. Because she knew I'd come back, you know, nourished. These men would pour into me the way that I would pour into them. Uh, but also sometimes I find that sometimes our biggest breakthroughs come when we're supporting others. It wasn't mm-hmm. just those mornings we're talking about Antonio and what's going on in his life, how we can improve things. It's when you're supporting others and whatever they're experiencing. So really providing that patience, uh, encouraging us to seek support, but also she encouraged me to spend time with, I like to call um, allies, those those men, those people that that make you better. And, and that made a huge difference for me. Mm-hmm. And I imagine she was also, what's the word? Assertive isn't the right word, but committed to not allowing you to continue the downward spiral. I mean, she couldn't enable you and rescue you, but I imagine that she was, she had to be firm at times. Absolutely. She, she was 100% committed, which was awesome, but absolutely firm. She, she, you know, I'm married to an extremely strong woman and I, I can tell you what, you know, how I was behaving, how I was showing up at times. It wouldn't have been sustainable long-term. Yeah. She deserves the absolute best. We all do. And if I continued to show up in that capacity, it wouldn't have worked. And, you know, one thing she did, I think, which is cool is we worked with one counselor. And he said something to the extent of, you know, you can't always control, you shouldn't control your partner's actions. But one thing we always can do is keep it clean on our side of the street. So what was amazing to me is when I was coming with friction at times, maybe not the best attitude, is 
her not quote unquote taking the bait and her yeah. still showing up with joy, her showing up with love, her not stoop, I don't stooping to my um at times, frankly, immaturity. And that takes a really big person. And of course, yeah. these things change and evolve over over the term of relationships. Sometimes the roles reverse, et cetera. Uh, but it takes a lot of uh, patience not to take that that bait when your partner's not showing up the way he or she, uh, the way you would like them to. Yeah, it's easy to get into a tit for tat. Kind of, if you're going to pull that attitude, well, then I'm going to pull this attitude. But that gets Absolutely. you nowhere. That gets you nowhere. Uh, but you were willing, you know, and that's the other thing is even though you might have been in a bit of a shame spiral and uh, scared, you weren't totally completely stubborn. <laughs> I'm sure there were moments of stubbornness, but you were oh, willing enough to make a change. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of stubborn in this, uh, this Leo man. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> I understand that. <laughs> so that that's for the, the partner. What about for someone who is in a place of shame and isolation? I would say first and foremost, just acknowledge that it's okay. I think the reminder for this right here is that though I felt like this internally, things were okay in my professional life. I mean, again, that was the irony is that externally things were kind of firing on all cylinders, even though yeah, I can also say maybe they weren't because I uh, maybe wasn't doing some of the things that I wanted to do. For that person who's going through this first, I would say to think back to, I like to think about Las Vegas and think about, imagine going into like the sports book area where people are betting on sporting events and imagine seeing your name up there and people are betting on you and ask yourself at this moment, based on, you know, your track record and your history, based on what you're doing today, would you bet on you accomplishing uh, what you say you want to accomplish, being the person you want to be? And if you wouldn't bet on you today, what are some of those shifts? What are some of those uh, you know, changes that you can make to, to be willing to bet on you? Uh, I equate that many ways to shifting gears. I like to think about cars, and especially if you've driven a stick shift. Um, sometimes we can get stuck in the same gear, and I'm really good at getting stuck in the same gear. I have to remind myself that sometimes we have multiple gears that we can use. Uh, but to be more practical, Christine, I think some key things that can happen is one: community is so critical. So the way I mentioned, you know, having my my men's group to interact with that played a major role in me shifting and stepping out of this funk and becoming more accountable. Uh, so having a community is so important. Uh, second, I even recommend getting professional help. The irony is for a guy who's a coach and has been fortunate to support so many men and women over the years, very rarely, Christine, had I worked with a coach on my own. I always find that funny, coaches who won't get coached themselves. <laughs> um, but I started working with the coach again. I, I did therapy myself to, to seek that support. Um, third, something that I found extremely practical, and this helps professionally, but also personally, is I started learning again. I found myself that I'd stopped learning. I, I'd learned so much information over the years, whether it be for my profession or just for other topics, but I'd stopped being a student at some point. And as we all know, our lives are built on being a student. They're built on being ongoing learners, but it's like when we get that job or we reach the, reach the middle of our career, we, we stop learning, we stop growing. And so yeah. I found myself taking regular courses again, en enrolling in seminars like the ones that, that you give, uh, challenges, you name it, just to stretch myself and grow. Um, that played a major role. And the two last things that I'll mention, I know this is a variety of things, but I think they're important to share. No, they're super helpful. Yeah. I had to ask myself, this is a funny question, but a great one. I'd ask myself, when is the last time you finished something just for you? 
We do so much for so many others. We'll give a great talk for others. We'll do these events for others. We'll show up for our friends. But sometimes we don't do certain things for ourselves. Uh, the genesis of my brand new podcast was that I'd realized that something I desperately missed was having amazing conversations with fascinating people. And that's why I started recording this podcast, because I knew a part of me was wilting, was dying because I wasn't doing that. Yeah, it would be great if I get sponsors and people to do all these different things for my podcast. But my metric of doing this, of finishing it every single week, is that I did it. It was for me. It mm. brought joy to my soul, me finishing that. So for people, that could look like press, pressing publish on a blog post, uh, writing those a thousand words every other day. It varies. And the last thing, and something else that was really critical, is having something to look forward to. I'm a guy that sometimes didn't like to plan ahead, but thankfully for my wife, she was awesome in that we regularly would start putting things on our calendar. That could be a date night. That could be a family vacation. That could be a time that we're going to invite friends over or, or a special event. And having something on your calendar to look forward to makes such a huge difference. And when I wake up and I look at that calendar, it brings me joy knowing that these great things are ahead versus just going with the flow, seeing what happens. So I know these are a variety of things that I mentioned, but I hope that your listeners can really connect to some I of those. I love those. I love them all because they're they're powerful yet tangible and simple as well. And clearly you've emerged from this. And so I'm curious, you didn't obviously go back to what you were like before the smoking incident. How did this change you? Wow, it's changed me in so many different ways. One, it's it's brought deeper connectivity, first and foremost, to myself. Uh, in a funny way, I talked about the uniform earlier, Christine, and I now can walk on a stage and I can wear jeans and a t-shirt and sneakers and feel great. Mm. Where in the past, I felt like I had to wear the speaker uniform, crisp slacks, button-down <laughs> shirt, blazer, nice shoes. And that, the irony with that is that I found that audiences, audiences, I feel like they actually dig me more as a dude that comes on in jeans and a t-shirt as opposed to me putting on that uniform. I, I've, I have a deeper connection and understanding to myself. Even when I speak, you'll hear more, probably more of a twang than you ever heard before because I'm no longer trying to hide how I speak. I have a bit of a twang, so be it. It's okay. I love your um, twang. Thank you so much. <laughs> um, the connection. Uh, with my family, with my wife, and with my kids is, you know, deeper than it's ever been before. Everything is an ongoing journey, but I can fully be present with my kids in a way that I wasn't before, present with my wife equally. And lastly, you know, professionally, you know, some of us have certain gifts. Uh, I've learned, and this is funny, uh, funny, not funny, my 75% is pretty good. Mm. right? My 75% as a coach, as a speaker is pretty good. But I've started to challenge myself to know, to see what I, what it looks like to step, step up a little bit more in a different way. I remember years ago, I remember you saying something to the extent, I don't know if it was to me or in a podcast or a blog post I read of yours, that you no longer use PowerPoints or presentation slides on the stage. And I remember the first few times I did that, Christine, First, I was scared as, as, you know, scared as heck, but I found that a, a whole other me showed up on a stage when I let go of that presentation. Sure, I still use them every now and then, uh, but I find I'm, I'm stretching myself more as that man on the stage trying to connect with that audience. Wow, that's amazing. So freedom. 
What a beautiful word. Freedom. Freedom. Absolutely. That that's the that's the perfect word. And you know, as I write that, that's the book that I have coming out. We're, we're talking specifically about that subject, just the freedom to ensure that the the best days are ahead as opposed to be behind us, you know, with that right intentional mindset. And like you and I are similar, I'm sure. Like I for that man and woman listening to this, um, I'm not you, I don't think you have to quit your job to be happy. I don't think you have to move mm. uh to Bali. The great place to visit, by the way, been there. But I don't think you have to quit your job and move there to, to seek happiness. There are things that we can do right where we are to, to reframe our situations at work, to reframe our friendships, to reframe our our marriages and beyond uh, without Absolutely. quitting everything. Well, that's the easy answer is changing something outside of us. But wherever we go, there we are. So what I have found is that when I change something inside of me, my external shifts versus if I try to change something external, maybe it feels better for five minutes, but inside I haven't made the shift. So I'm out of alignment and it's harder to really attract the external things that really are going to make me feel the most fulfilled when I'm not in alignment inside. So I, I really have committed to living inside out as much as I can. I was lucky to have an event in my twenties that really showed me that you know, money and fame and having everything you want doesn't buy happiness. (laughs) So I learned early on that that isn't the formula, but it sounds like you, you've recognized that on even a deeper level. Yeah, absolutely. And it's still, let's be clear. It's an ongoing journey. Oh, sure. For me too. Yeah. yeah, Every single day. uh, But me measuring my wealth based on the number of bookings that I have, the number of what's in my bank account, et cetera. Uh, I, I can't do that anymore. Yeah. I choose not to do that anymore. I mean, my metrics are, are are very different than they than they used to be. Um, one of my metrics that like we talked about this before we hit record. I feel so blessed and so fortunate that based on you know, the work that I've been able to create for myself, that there are many days that I get to take my kids to school and even mm. pick them up. And sure, I could say I need I should be working to fill this course up or to do X, Y, and Z. But wow, what, what an amazing payment I get being able to go pick them up and see them run to me from the classroom. <laughs> it's a blast. I love that. I love that. Well, speaking of work, just a little bit, I know that one of your books is How to Excel at Work and in Life or your first job, but I imagine that is really any job. What are some of your favorite tips or ways that we can excel in life that don't have so much to do with doing? But that's have more really, to do with being. <laughs> that's a really good, um, great question to ask. I, I think I'll, I'll frame that with a question I use sometimes in some of my keynotes. And this is one of those questions that really stops people in their tracks, whether I'm giving that domestically or I'm giving a talk in India or Holland. Sometimes I'll ask this question, Christine. I'll say, think back to your last 30 days in the office at work and mm. ask yourself, based on those last 30 days, if your boss had to make a decision to rehire you based on those last 30 days, would the answer immediately be yes? Mm. And the funny thing I get during that moment is so much giggling. People who are making eye contact with me start looking down. They, the answer is no many times. And so what I do then is not, I don't want to beat them up based on the last 30 days. That's just an opportunity. I invite them to think back and I invite your listeners to think to when you were interviewing for that job that you're currently in. Think about how excited you were about this opportunity. Think back to when you got that call and you found out you were a finalist. And then think back to when you actually got the call and you got the job, how fired up, how excited you were. Think about how you showed up that first week, that first month, those first few months on the job. Mm. And ask yourself, how much of that person still exists? 
What we're talking about right there, Christine, we're not talking about skill sets or expertise in XYZ software. We're talking about certain feelings. We're talking about certain emotions, the way we chose to show up. What's amazing about that man or woman who's listening right now in whatever job they happen to be in, right now, you are better and smarter, more equipped than you have ever been before in your life. Yeah, that's so true. Like, why, how can you show up to work tomorrow like it was day one again? Mm. With that excitement, with that joy, with that passion, with that vigor. I think one of the most damaging, kind of scary, innocuous statements people say at work sometimes. Remember when you remember when you begin a brand new job and a weekend, somebody would knock on the door, some some random guy named Bob, and he would say, uh, hey, are y'all settled in yet? <laughs> yeah. Are you all settled in yet? <laughs> right? So my right. question for all of you, settling not necessarily, I hope that you're still contributing. I think there's a difference between settling and contributing. And I hope that you are still contributing. So that's something I say to those folks who are, you know, in that position, how they can continue to show up. The last thing I'll say is sometimes we just have to be our own benefactor. You know, we have jobs that we're doing sometimes, but there are also side hustles that many folks have. And we have the opportunity to sometimes look at our job. You know, a good friend of mine said something about a dream job. He said, a dream job is a job that you absolutely love, or it's a job that allows you to do what you love. Mm, So if you're not in the best relationship with your job right now, maybe you can reframe your thinking to look at it as your benefactor, the same way Picasso and Harper Lee and Leonardo da Vinci had benefactors and patrons that supported them to create their art. What if you looked at your job as your benefactor, as opposed to just this horrible place you have to go every single day that allows you to do what you want to do in the evenings, it allows you to do what you want to do on the weekends and beyond. And I find that when people kind of shift perspectives there, they find a brand new appreciation for a job and, you know, Karen and Jim no longer get on their nerves. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I feel that that's true in so many ways because so many people, I think, want to be entrepreneurs. They want to get out of their corporate job. And it's like, well, first of all, you really have to know if you have the spirit of an entrepreneur and if you want to be totally responsible for yourself, or if you do better when you're part of a team and you have someone giving you things to do. Because I really do feel like unless a job is toxic or you're in an abusive environment or you're working for something that you just don't believe in, or you're not being paid what you're worth, or which is something that's extreme, you can really make any job great, any job, and really see it as this is something that's providing me with income because money's a necessary thing in our world to do the things that I love and have gratitude for it. I know many people, you know, it's, it's like, okay, let's just use, you and I fly a lot. Let's just use the example of flight attendants. I'm sure we've both had experiences with flight attendants that love their job and flight attendants that clearly hate their job. <laughs> Same job, <laughs> right? Same job. But the ones that appear like they love it, they have a different relationship to it. They're doing the same exact job. So I love that you said that because I think it's so important to keep our fantasies in check and really go, all right, like if I really have a dream and a calling to be an entrepreneur and go for it, I mean, we're in the middle of B-School promotion right now. So I'm very passionate about helping people be entrepreneurs. But I also have coached and know many people who I can think of my friend, Melissa, who's been in a corporate job for years and now she's running a company and she loves it. She would never want to go work for herself. That's not her thing. So you got to just know what's your thing and make the best of it with your perception. 
I agree with you. And like you said, entrepreneurship is not for everyone. One mm-hmm. of the things I always laugh about with friends about when people sometimes say, I want to start my own company so I have more free time. Yeah, that right. makes me laugh sometimes <laughs> because uh, early on, I'm like, listen, uh, odds are you're going to have less free time. Yeah. Uh, something else I think is really cool to remind people. And I heard Marianne Williamson say this once. Um, I just want to give some people some permission because we all have that, that, maybe you create that brand new, maybe you knit or something like that and you create this beautiful hat. And the question we inevitably hear after you post something on the internet or you show someone this hat that you knitted is, oh, so what are you going to do with it? Are you going to sell it? Are you going to start a business? I just want to give people permission. Don't You can have a hobby. You can do things without creating a business from it. You can do it just for you. And what Marianne Williamson said, and I loved it, she says, people don't exist, and I'm paraphrasing, people don't exist solely for you to sell them something. And that was mm-hmm. such a powerful reframe for me. If someone feels like they have to be an entrepreneur, and I just want to remind folks, yes, if you want to pursue it, do it. Wow, what amazing venues and courses like uh, Marie Forleo's B-School, amazing. And if you choose not to do that, you just want to create for, for yourself, that's completely okay as well. Yep, yep. Absolutely. Well, as we wrap up here, Antonia, this has been such a juicy conversation. You have a new book coming out towards the end of the year. Can you give us a sneak peek into that? Yeah, this book is all about how folks can ensure that the best thing is ahead of them as opposed to behind them. Those intentional things they can do on a regular basis to take the uniform off, uh, to activate certain things that have been dormant for way too long to get clear on what they really want, how to build a community and beyond. Uh, This book is really, Christine, for those folks who are in the middle, nowhere near the beginning of their career and nowhere near their end. They've accomplished what they set out to accomplish, but now they're asking themselves, what now? What next? And what's fascinating about those folks I described in the middle of their careers, that can be a 20-something all the way up to a 50 or 60 something. Cause you know, you know, in the middle, you may have a long way to go before you finish your career, your career. So as I give keynotes already on the topic of the book, folks are really connecting to it. They feel like they're finally being seen because mm-hmm. for the longest time they felt like they were the only person going through this and they couldn't complain about something. And I'm finding folks being really excited to, uh, to recommit to what's most important and frankly, to reimagine what their future can look like. So I can't wait for this book to come out. Mm, I'm so excited for this book to come out as well. So awesome. Thank you, Antonio. Tell people where they can find you and connect with you. Absolutely. Uh, The best way to find me is theantonionevs.com. On all social platforms, you can find me at the Antonio Neves. And I just have to say, Christine, of course, I've been following your work for so long and the work that you're doing is so important. Uh, I get so much value out of listening to your podcast, reading your blog posts and beyond. Sometimes I wish your retreats, maybe you do have one that, that dudes can show up, but I, I, I want to do this fall oh. in Austin. <laughs> okay. You know what? I think I will be there because I saw you promoting one not long ago. I was like, I want to go to that, but it's no dudes. Oh, yeah. You got it. This, this fall, Steph and I are teaching together in Austin. Breath work, life work, really, really cool stuff happening That's there. Not, so. Okay, you might just, I think, <laughs> I, I just found a great reason to come to Austin this fall. There you go. There you go. We'd love to have both you and your wife there. Well, thank you so much, Antonio, for the work that you do in the world. Thank you for sharing so vulnerably. I think a lot of people, I know a lot of people are really going to be helped by your story and are going to feel 
a lot less alone because so many of us do things in hiding and in secret that creates shame. And the only way to get out of shame is to bring it into the light. So thank you for being brave enough to bring this into the light and to share about it with us. Thank you for uh, creating a safe container to do so. My pleasure. <laughs>